Hello again, friends, and welcome back to another episode of Real Talks. I'm your host, David Steele. Illua has a week off, but in her place, I'd like to welcome Elena Finley. Tell our listeners a little about yourself and where can they find you on social media? Well, I am a social and behavioral scientist, a environmental geographer, and fashion designer with an interest in real estate. <laughs> but you can find kind of some of my creative pursuits and etc. at on Instagram at the Finley House. Or I'm also on Facebook, Elena Finn. I always am posting photography, projects that I'm working on, ideas. So yeah, go ahead and follow. I'll follow back. Great. Just a friendly reminder, if you like what you're hearing, you can follow us wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Just search Real Talks. That's R-E-E-L Talks. Just like my name, S-T-E-E-L-E. Also, you can follow us on social media. I can be found on Twitter at WannabeRounder, LinkedIn, and on Instagram, too, at DCadudo. Just a couple of quick announcements. Our revamped Patreon channel is now live. You can find it by typing Real Talks into the search bar. Let me tell you a little about it. Now, we're offering affordable levels for us for you to support us at. $3, $8, $15, and our largest is only $20. If you do choose to support us, you'll have the opportunity to get some great perks, such as your name shouted out before every podcast, cool merch, and if you're one of our major contributors, you'll get a one-hour monthly Zoom meeting with Illu and myself. For more details, just go to the website. I'll leave the link in the description, which leads me to my next big announcement. Flashback Fridays have now begun, and we're a few weeks in. This is where Ann Cargart and myself will be discussing films from the past. The last film we talked about was Captain America First Avenger, and then we're going to be doing every single MCU movie in chronological order. Stay tuned for this week's episode, where we will be talking about the Avengers, and boy, is there a lot to say. I can't reiterate enough. Hit that follow button so you never miss an episode. So today is our weekly roundup show, and we have a lot to get to. There's one story that everybody's clamoring to talk about. But first, is Ezra Miller going to get replaced from The Flash? I'll tell you what sources are saying. The summer's first major blockbuster is already going to streaming? I'll tell you what it is and where you can find it. Ellen Burstyn just finished filming a film, a classic she was in, back in the 70s. I'll tell you which one it was coming up. And finally, the saga is over. We will discuss what the ramifications are now that the suit between Johnny Depp and Amber Heard is over. But before we do all that, we do have to take a break. We'll be back in 30 seconds. Leadership, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starfleet Leadership Academy. It's ongoing mission to develop leaders through Star Trek to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. A Star Trek podcast told through the lens of leadership development. Subscribe today. The Starfleet Leadership Academy. Welcome back. Okay, so we have a lot to get to today. There's one story that everybody's clamoring about, but I'm going to keep everybody on the edge of their seats. So, Ezra Miller, and this guy is just a clown to say the least, He's, but he is going to be in one of the biggest blockbusters of next year. Is Warner Brothers going to replace him? This comes from Variety. Warner Brothers has high hopes for The Flash. The upcoming comic book adventure, which completed production in 2021, is now scheduled to debut in, in theaters in 2023. It has been extraordinarily well-received in its early test screenings, according to sources close to the movie. Given DC Films' inconsistent track record in fielding commercial hits, initial reception that The Flash could be a crowd-pleasing blockbuster is not only a relief, but a necessity to succeed at the box office. At a time when superhero adaptations are largely populated by straight actors, Ezra Miller, who stars in The Flash, is non-binary and queer. feels like a refreshing, progressive choice to headline an all Big budget blockbuster summit movie. There's only one glaring issue, though. Miller can't seem to stay out of trouble. In recent months, the actor has been arrested or taken into custody several times for harassment, disorderly conduct, 
and a traffic violation. Around the same time, two Hawaii residents filed a TRO, or temporary restraining order, against Miller after they allegedly broke into the couple's bedroom and tried to steal their passports and wallets. Though the restraining order was later dropped, the continued behavior has prompted serious unease about the people they have endangered, as well as Miller's own health and well-being. Those incidences took place nearly two years ago after footage surfaced of Miller appearing to choke a woman outside of a bar in Iceland. It's kind of hardly the attention that what studio wants for starring in a $200 million budget tentpole. These eyebrow-raising events have led speculation about Warner Brothers' plans for the blockbuster hopeful, which has served as the first solo film for Barry Allen, a.k.a. The Flash. Would the studio actually replace Miller with another actor? Would it jettison the film to HBO Max in an attempt to limit potential negative fanfare that could accompany a theatrical release? Or will Warner Brothers keep the movie in theaters as planned on June 23rd, 2023? So, the question I have for you is, what do you think? I totally agree. He can't stay out of trouble. And it's not like you can be like, oops, I just choked a woman. (laughs) So, you know, like I feel like he's a huge liability. Who else would be given so many chances and still be given such huge opportunities? It feels like he is really struggling and that there probably aren't a lot of good people around him. So hopefully he can just really check himself, you know, mentally and socially and but so far he hasn't been able to do that and there's probably not a lot of people around him that he could trust yeah i don't understand the i mean okay let's backtrack for a minute he's 24 years old and i understand that's young and success can go to your head really fast but it's one thing to get in trouble with the law once and it's another thing to do it again but like you were saying how many times does we have to hear about him before the studio says, okay. And here's the thing. It's either do you cut your losses because they spent 200. This is already filmed. So do you cut your losses and say, okay, well, we got to go back and, and refilm it, which by the way, if they did that 200 million, $200 million film, you, even if it goes over there, you're looking at least, at least to make, you have to make at least six or $700 million just to break even. Couple that with the fact that DC hasn't been doing well lately. And, I mean, the last movie, The Suicide Squad, which James Gunn I did a great job with, but they haven't had, I mean, Justice League should have been a billion-dollar movie. It wasn't. Wonder Woman 84 should have been a billion-dollar movie. It wasn't. It's like they have to play a card out of Marvel's book and have the whole multiverse, and that's why we're having Michael Keaton in there and George Clooney and everybody else, and it's like, this is supposed to be a standalone film. That's why you're calling it The Flash, not The Flash Plus Two. <laughs> I don't get where, how many chances. And beyond that, here's the other thing. What other studio is going to take a chance on him, right? Because they see this behavior, and you know studios like Universal and MGM and Paramount, they, thank God that's not on our star. <laughs> so... I just have to wonder, is this going to be a one-off? I mean, I can't see anybody else getting it. And I know I'm going on, but the Junkets, Elena, the Junkets, what are they going to do? Because so for all those people that aren't familiar with a Junket, a Junket is a is press briefings. So you go around talk shows, late-night talk shows, Q&As, press conferences, the whole nine yards. And all the press comes, and they get to ask questions. How was it work, you know, working with Michael Keaton? Did you have a good time on the film? But what are they going to do? Because he's a distraction. I don't know. It, it really... So, yeah, it, it's one of those things where... I don't know. I'm lucky I'm not in his shoes. Or the studio shoes. Well, and it's like, who among us also, like, hasn't been self-destructive at some point? Uh, You know, is something happening behind the scenes professionally for him? Or is this just, you know, a personal thing? Is this a new mental condition developing in his 20s? I mean, that is common for men. So, and, you know, given his life experiences, I just really hope that he can find some good influences in his life that he can trust. Yeah. No, absolutely. And I think that, I mean, 
look, it looks like he's at peace with himself, with who he is sexually. I mean, I'm not, I'm just being honest with you because it's so rare that we have, because usually if you're non-binary or you're queer or you're different, you are just as. At least that he is more in tune with himself. But I, what you were saying, getting people around him, I wonder if why he hasn't had people around him say, you got to chill out. I mean. Are you not grateful? Are you not in pursuit of this lifestyle or, you know, this career? Like what's going on here? What do you really want? Yeah. And that's a big, that's a big thing. And I hope it, if anything, I hope this is a learning, a teaching moment for him. And for a lot of young people, you know, like, we can't sabotage ourselves, and so many of us do that for sure. So we can all learn here. Yeah. We'll not only sabotage ourselves, break the law. And by the way, if he had been, let's be honest, if he had been any other person, he would have been locked away, throw away the key. Five years, you know, there would have been. So the fact that he's blessed with the fact that he's able to have all these get out of jail free cards, let's hope. That something down the road actually happens. But we won't know until probably the beginning of next year. Because this is going to be a summer blockbuster. And one other little thing. I'll be curious to see what it goes up against next year. Because it's right. I mean, we're almost a year away from it. And depending on what it goes up against in the theaters, I'd be curious to see if this doesn't do well. Warner Brothers is in deep trouble. But is he out of a job? That will be fascinating to see. Moving on. From one thing to another, Doctor Strange, which is the first major blockbuster of this year, it's already going to streaming. Can you believe this? So this comes from MovieWeb. After an impressive theatrical dominance, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness heads to the small screen this month. Disney is officially announced that the Doctor Strange sequel starring Benedict Cumberbatch as the title of, as the sorcerer coming to Disney Plus on June 22nd, 2022. Though the film continues to collect profits in theater, Disney is not wasting too much time with letting fans at home stream the hit movie as well. Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness officially premiered on May 6th. The film currently stands as the highest grossing movie of 2022 with more than eight. $179 million pulled in worldwide. It's also garnered a $90 million on opening day alone in North America, putting it second best of the pandemic era just behind Spider-Man No Way Home. Sam Raimi directed Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness using a screenplay by Michael Walden. The film stars Benedict Cumberbatch, Elizabeth Olsen, and a few others. Will Doctor Strange actually three actually happen? As of now, Marvel has not officially announced a third Doctor Strange movie. Given the immense success of Into the Multiverse of Madness, however, the odds are we have not seen the last of his character. Benedict Cumberbatch has also teased more of a future as Doctor Strange, as he's not quite ready to leave the MCU behind yet. With the right ingredients there, perhaps another film or even a Disney Plus follow-up series is inevitable. I can't really wait to see what the fan reaction is to this and where it takes Strange and who he is by the end of the film. But I think it sets him up for a really exciting future, Combat Batch told Extra TV. I'm not tired at all. I really enjoy playing this character, and I've still got a lot to give to him. And I want more adventures with him. Sam Raimi is not committed to another Marvel project this time, but the director has publicly praised Marvel Studios and has seemed to have had a very positive experience with returning to the fold. That makes it possible for him to possibly do a third Doctor Strange movie. Scott Derrickson, the director of the first Doctor Strange film, has also suggested he'd be up to return to direct the third potential film. Even if things don't work out for him in the second film, in case, we'll just have to wait and see. So, I have to ask, are you a Marvel fan? Yes. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> what? So, did, did, have you seen the first Doctor Strange? Yes, I did, Yeah. And I, I loved it. I mean, I was definitely sensitive to like the social issues around the movie that people were bringing up. But did I enjoy the movie? Yes, I did. So, 
question. Did you happen to see the second one yet? I have not seen it yet. I was just looking at Showtime's actually right now. <laughs> but yeah, I, I would want to see it. Yeah. Yeah. So by the way, if you want to go back and actually listen to my Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness spoiler cast, go see the film first, like she is going to, and then go back and listen to the whole thing on that. I will say this, a couple of things. Number one, without giving any spoilers away, because you can listen to the spoiler cast for that, it was an okay movie. It had its problems. I thought that there were some cool things to it, but it was middle of the road as far as Marvel's concerned. I've seen better. I mean, was it Black Panther? No. Was it Iron Man 3? Definitely not. So it was middle of the road. You know, the effects. But I will say a couple other things, though. Number one, this movie was huge. It brought in, it said 90 million opening night, 187 million dollars domestically opening weekend 11th all time 11 for a subpar movie so you can imagine if they make a good movie take a good movie like a spider-man no way home that's all you got to do do is 260 opening weekend but so this was a huge this morning i just put up my the mid-year to date mid-year review of 2022 and i talk about every single movie up to this month it led the month of may and, you know, you have Top Gun, which just opened last week, $160 million. So it's, it's getting there quickly. Dr. Strange, but my thing is this. This has only been six weeks, and it's already on Disney+. Plus. Like, that was a fast turnaround. So for all those people that aren't familiar with it, there's something called a theatrical window. And a theatrical window is how long a movie can actually stay in the theater so if she has a movie, and I'm a movie theater, I buy her movie, okay? And before the pandemic, it used to be 90 days. I would keep her movie in my movie theater for 90 days. And then it would go on to DVD and Blu-ray and, you know, uh, physical media. Today, because of the pandemic and, and everything else that happened with the Trolls movie and all of that, they cut the theatrical window in half. So instead of 90 days... It's now only six weeks. So a movie like A Doctor Strange that just came out is now on Disney Plus or will be on Disney Plus in a matter of three weeks. So I got a couple questions. Number one, does it hurt the movie because it's still making money in the theater? I mean, it made $9 million last weekend. So do you think it still hurts the movie even though it's going to streaming or... I mean, I think the more people that see it, the better. And so it's it's a hard call. I I like that it came out on streaming because then I feel like more people have access to it. Maybe more eyes get to see it. But then it kind of does take some of like magic away from like the experience of cinema. You know, like there's this whole element about going out and experiencing something with other people. And like you had mentioned the last two times we spoke ago, you know, going to watch a movie is making a memory. So it's too bad that that's kind of leaving, but you know, maybe the industry is just shifting and we're the ones that need to adapt with it. Definitely could be one of those situations. You know, maybe it's exciting where things will change. Maybe like streaming will also adapt and evolve and we'll start seeing and experiencing new things with that. Yeah. I think, I think it's a combination of things. I think because streaming is now so mainstream, no pun intended. I mean, it, you have so much media out there. I mean, you have Netflix, you have Hulu, you have Apple TV, you have Peacock. I can't even believe NBC actually called their thing Peacock. But you have Peacock, you have Paramount Plus, you have all of these streaming services, Disney Plus. And so for all those people that didn't get to go see it in the theaters... This is a perfect chance. And they can watch it as many times as they want. And so, you know, I mean, look, it made almost $800 million in six weeks. I got to believe that, you know, and the other thing, too, is this. You got to ask, how much more money was it really going to make with, like, a Top Gun coming out, right? I mean, Top Gun made $160 million opening weekend, which blew away the Memorial Day record. And by the way, that was a top 30 opening of all time. 
So, I mean, that's a we'll get we'll get to Top Gun a little bit later on, but it's one of those things where, I mean, look, Jurassic World Dominion comes out in next week, so this is going to be the first time in probably three years, and I see she's clapping her hands. So this is going to be the first time in three years that we have had three huge blockbusters in the theater at once. Even Doctor Strange will still be there. It's not going to make a lot of money, but it's still going to be there. You've got Top Gun and you've got Jurassic World. And it's not a blockbuster per se. Then June is a huge month. We've got Jurassic World coming out. Then we have Lightyear. And by the way, we're going to be doing a whole Toy Story, Pixar, Lightyear preview, which is this is a whole standalone film. This has been 20 years in the making. The only difference is it's Chris Evans, but that's not that big of a deal. But it's a standalone movie. You've got Elvis, which I think is going to be really good. Which, you know, Tom Hanks is going to be in that. that that's going to be a blast. And then you have all these movies. And then in the beginning of July, you've got Thor coming out. So getting back to Disney Plus, though, I think that this is a perfect timing, actually. I really do. So they weren't going to get any more money. They squeezed as much money out of this as possible. And let's say something. I need to bring something else up. I think it's interesting. Kevin Feige, even at the red carpet, even before that, said there was too many spoilers. I'm dying to see how they are going to market Thor Love and Thunder because we've already seen a trailer or two. And I don't think there's a lot. I mean, we got some of the audio and whatever, but I don't think there's a lot there. I think the strategy completely changed because he's like, look, we gave him way too much stuff. And with the TV spots and everything else, people are like, oh, all right, we've seen this before. And that was a subpar movie. If Thor Love and Thunder is as good as some other films, they're going to be right back in the good graces of every single Marvel fan. And so, I mean, look, they've been around for almost 15 years. They've made billions and billions and billions of dollars because their stories hold up. I'm going to say one thing about Doctor Strange. And it's I said it in the spoiler cast, and it's not a spoiler. Don't worry. The And we talked about this off air. The way that Marvel treats their female characters, they have a serious problem. A serious, serious problem problem and if they want the whole contingency of the female demographic whether it's you know 18 24 25 to 34 whatever if they want them in the seats their butts in the seats to see this they need to treat their female characters better whether it's wanda whether it's you know killing off nebulous and or gamora in endgame whether it's what they did with black widow whatever it is they have to and I, you know, that is the biggest thing that they need to correct. If they do, you know, the thing is, you don't see a lot of strong female heroes. Yeah, you got Captain Marvel, but we're not getting another Captain Marvel movie until the middle of next year. You're going to wait 18 months for that? Yeah, you got the Marvels coming out, but that's not going to be until July of next year. So as far as Disney Plus is concerned, I think that they're going to, they've made their money. And this is just another time where they're going to bring three movies out. And they're going to just got to be in nearly another billion-dollar movie. <laughs> but in speaking of, we're going to be doing a whole – I will be doing a whole – I don't know if she wants to join me for this, but we, I will going to be doing a whole Jurassic World spoiler cast. So I'm going to drop every single nook and cranny about this. I will probably go back and watch the other two Jurassic Worlds. Actually, the first Jurassic World was one of the – only seven movies ever to make $200 million opening weekend. That tells you something. I'm so excited. My son freaking loves dinosaurs and, you know, your excitement, all the videos you just listed for the summer, like that already got me excited. And then just thinking about all the Jurassic World. Oh, man. Yeah, it's it's going to be a fun movie. Yeah, fun summer. And, you know, all these big titles that you're dropping, it's also going to be interesting if that can like kickstart the economy, like get people out doing stuff this summer, supporting like 
restaurants. Well, and- I already think I already think it has. I'll be honest with you because, and I just did this in the in that podcast the other night. This up to date today, as a recording the other day, two point six billion dollars in the first six months of this year. Spider Man No Way Home, which came out in the middle of December, made one hundred and fifty three million dollars. The Batman gross $160 million in its opening weekend. Doctor Strange made $187 million. The theaters are back. They really are. To your point, if this actually can get supporting the things around it, that's going to be huge. And then, you know, it's... So the second half of this year, and I go through the whole thing in the podcast, it's... We got a lot of cool movies coming out. A lot of them. So, David, I also wanted to throw out there that I think that Marvel should really consider taking on Thor's sister's character. <laughs> yes, you, yes. Tell us about this. I, I don't know. I don't think a lot of people know about this. Please divulge. Tell us. Yes. Okay. So, and there actually were whispers a couple years ago that they were going to try to do something with this character. So hopefully the creators of the character can agree on some terms and bless us with an amazing female character uh, named Angela, the witch slayer. She's Thor's cast off sister. Her, you know, imagery honestly is a little over sexual or whatever, but maybe in today's more progressive society, that doesn't even really matter, you know, like, especially for, you know, women like me, we really feel like empowered to be whether it's pretty or sexy or whatever. So maybe like that character could be really well received. And it's exciting. It's a, she's so dominating and just to see a female character on the same level as Thor, almost a little like edgier as well because she's the cast off sister you know she's not the favorite child she's not the golden child um but she ends up being a huge like hero in the universe so i think that would be like an insane amazing twist for people to like be told about because so many people don't even know about this whole saga behind this character and that she did exist at one point and then they had to pull her due to creative differences with the character and I think licensing and stuff like that. Do you think she's, would you call her like the female Loki? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's like, but I'm pretty sure that her character like is better, like stronger, more like edgier, you know, like it's, so she really is like, she could get that, she could captivate people at the highest level. And it's an authentic character because she's not up here on this pedestal. You know, she's been cast off. She's got this chip on her shoulder, you know, and that's very real. People want to see more complex female characters. And this is the perfect opportunity. So please, please (laughs) create this line, create this storyline. We want to see it. I will be very curious to see. We're talking about strong female characters. I'll be very curious to see where they take the Jane Foster character. Very curious to see. Because this is a very good opportunity for Marvel to shut every single criticism down. Every single one. You don't think we're here, watch this. And of course, you know, you see at the end of the trailer where he's going to go grab the hammer and then it goes back to Jane and, you know, and the other, you go, Jane? So if they make her as strong as him, him being Thor, that's going to be really cool. Yes. Or like she saves him or something because at the end of the day, like if it's your brother, it's your brother. And like, I love that. I totally relate to that as well. So definitely that will be interesting. That comes up in the beginning of July. Moving on to another. So I got to ask you, do you like horror movies? Yes. Okay. (laughs) Nice. Okay, so one of the greatest horror movies ever made was in 1973, and it was The Exorcist. So Alan Burson just said that she finished wrapping her scenes for the reboot. And this comes movie web again. A very familiar face has returned to be a part of the reboot of the horror classic The Exorcist. The new film, helmed by David Gordon Green, is scheduled to hit theater screens on October 13, 2023. And I think, I'm not sure, but I think 
I wouldn't be shocked if that was Friday the 13th. Just in time for Halloween. Interview given to the Daily Beast Live in an Earth from three months ago when asked about the notorious strange occurrences on the set of the original movie, actress Ellen Burson revealed in passing that she'd already shot the new version. The extent to which Burson is participating is unknown, but will mark the first time the 89-year-old Oscar winner has appeared in the Exorcist franchise since the original film. In the 1973 movie, Burson starred as Chris McNeil, an actress who's shooting a film at Georgetown University but is pulled away from her work when her daughter Reagan, played by Linda Blair, started to show signs of demonic possession. After going to every doctor possible, she turned to skeptical priest Father Karras, who's played by Jason Miller, and veteran exorcist Father Mir and Max Souden for help. In the new film, Chris McNeil is sought out by a beleaguered parent whose child has become recently possessed. Although the film is based on the 1971 book by William Blady, it is loosely inspired by the chilling story of a young boy, Robbie, or Roland Doe, from Cottage City, Maryland. In 1949, newspapers reported that a 14-year-old boy was possessed by something sinister, and the priest performed an exorcism on him. After asking for a Ouija board for his birthday, his Aunt Harriet gave him one as a gift. After she died, the boy began experiencing abnormal activities around the house, rattling around the walls, odd noises, and flying objects. I think that's one of the greatest movies of all time, at least in the horror genre. You know, remaking it. And by the way, if you want to go back and listen to my podcast, reboots, remakes, and sequels, the three things that drive Hollywood. I think the reason why these films are remade more than anything else is for a new generation. Because I wasn't alive in 1973, you weren't alive in 1973, but this new movie, it's like, oh, okay, it's a new rendition of it. I don't know. First of all, the boy asking for a Ouija board for his birthday is a little weird, but okay. <laughs> You're like, plot hole. <laughs> yeah, it's a touch strange, you know, but nonetheless, give me a couple of horror movies that you like. Oh, man. I like I, the weirdest stuff pops into my head. Go for it. Well, I don't think this is really like <laughs> okay. No, I'm not. I'm not gonna... No, 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 no. Come on, come on. Don't tease the audience. Let's well, I was it. gonna say the Human Centipede, but it's not actually like a horror movie. But it's just weird. It, I guess it is. It's so weird and bizarre. But I mean, like, I actually really love just that whole genre. That is genre that you know you're gonna feel something no matter what whether it's fear or humor or whatever you use to cope in those situations of high stress but yeah I I love poltergeist I love exorcist I loved saw you know I I just I like just feeling things while I'm watching and you know like I said you know you're gonna feel something when you watch horror movie for sure disgust sometimes you know all of that it was it's one of those movies that it was it transformed a whole generation. I mean, let's face it, when you say the Exorcist, it's what's the first thing you think of? Linda Blair with her head turning around and around and around. It's just like psycho. It's just like psycho. You know, what's a, when when you say when when you're talking with somebody about a movies and you say, "Well, psycho," you know, you're thinking about Alice, you're thinking about the Janet Lee shower scene. You're not thinking about anything else exactly in the way it was done. So this movie was fantastic. I remakes, yeah, okay, cool. I'm happy for them. I mean, I don't think, I think there are certain movies that you just don't, you can't remake. They're just off limits. I mean, I'll just throw one out there that I hope they, if they ever remake. I, I'm kidding when I say this, but I will stop watching movies, and that's Godfather. If they ever remake The Godfather, I'm done, because that's one of those movies that was so monumental. At its core, and you look at the cast of everybody, whether it was Al Pacino, whether it was Diane Keaton, whether it was Robert Duvall, on and on and on and on. The Exorcist is one of those movies, too, for the horror genre that, for its time in 1973, was huge. Huge. And, you know, even in the 80s, you know, I mean, we're pushing a little forward here, but movies like Friday the 13th. Nightmare on Elm Street. I, when I think of Nightmare on Elm Street, I'm always going to think of Freddy Kr- Robert Englund as, Fre- as Freddy Krueger. I didn't care about the 2012 version, which, by the way, I saw in the theater and I walked out. It was horrible. You know, Saw, amazing movie. If it's done well 
and that's the thing. What was that more recent one where they're all in like an escape building? Escape room. Escape room. Yeah. Escape room. <laughs> yes, that was so good. I loved that too. And so the thing is, Saw was so instrumental in pushing these things forward because it had the twist and it was creative. It was just with one room. And that's really where escape rooms really came from. Yes, super twisted. Yes. Final Destination. And I mean, another great, I mean, we can go on all day, but Scream, 1996. And there's a perfect example of a remake that just came out in the last year that people in 96 had no clue about. Now, whether it was good or not, that film's subjective, but, you know, you've got Courtney Cox and Drew Barrymore and David. It's just like, thank you. And it's just like, yeah. So I'm really curious to see where this goes. I'm really curious to see where this goes. I'm excited because you're right. It is such a old film and like they can go, you know, a lot of directions with it. So that's, that's going to be really fun to see. Yeah, absolutely. That's going to be a fun one. Now it won't be released until next year. And I think people will forget about it, but I think people will really start to get more excited once we see a trailer. When we see a trailer, the first trailer, but they're going to have to blow the doors off. I mean, they're going to have to have like a Linda Blair scene in there to do it. So moving on from something a little dark to something really touching. As everybody knows that's listening to this, Top Gun Maverick just opened this last week. And the late Tony Scott directed the 1986 version. So this comes from The Hollywood Reporter. As the final credits roll on Top Gun Maverick, fans will see a familiar name appear in a memorial dedication, Tony Scott, director of the original Top Gun, who took his own life in August of 2012. My God, it's been 10 years. Wow. More than a decade ago, when talks began about a sequel, Scott was among the conversation. Now in 2022, his presence is still being felt. He's with us and watching over us, and it's sad he can't be here. But I think Joe, the director, did a phenomenal job of taking a leap of what Tony did. Producer Jerry Brockheimer told THRs at the film's world premiere in San Diego, also revealing the members of Scott's family were on hand for the red carpet event. Writer Christian McQuarrie added that Tom Cruise screened the film for Rid- Scott's brother Ridley, who's an incredible director in himself, after its completion, as he spoke to the director's legacy. We're all be ke- here because of Top Tony. You've got to remember that in 1986, when you saw Top Gun, Top Gun wasn't Top Gun yet. The movements weren't what they are now, and Top Gun was a tectonic shift, and that's owned to Tony. McQuarrie said, when Tony was firing on all cylinders, there was nobody better. And I don't think in his lifetime he really got the recognition he deserves as a truly influential, powerful filmmaker. The film went on to rake in $160.5 million over the Memorial Day weekend, the biggest opening of all time for the holiday, as well as the biggest opening for Cruz. That's just cool. There's no other ways to even describe that. The fact that they're able to just give all the credit to him and be like, you did this. You're not here to see it. You did this. And yeah. How often does that happen? You know, like. Yeah. I think it only really happens if somebody's big on the film and they pass or they worked on the film and they pass. But you don't see that anymore. You really, really don't. And I'll be honest with you. Or myself were having a conversation about this the other day. Tom Cruise has so much clout that you know, and I'm sure Joe was like, sure. That he's like, yeah, put his name on on the, as a first name. So it's one of those things where he absolutely deserves all the credit and the recognition. And what he did for that movie and really Tom Cruise's career. I mean, if Top Gun doesn't do well in 1986, we're not talking about this. I mean, yeah, he had the color money in 1986 with Paul Newman, but yeah, no, it was that movie literally and figuratively took his career off. And I'm so glad. And they show Ridley is a fantastic, and they started Scott Free together. And I'm, but that is just such a cool, cool story. And to have his, his family there, the other thing too is, I'll say, is they remembered. Do you know what I mean? They could have just made the movie and be like, eh, all right, to hell with you guys. No, they said, come on in. We want you here. So that was great to see. 
I can't believe it's been 10 years later. My God. It just, it just shows you how fast time goes. It's just unbelievable. And he was one of the greatest directors of all time. And he just, it's unfortunate. But, so we are now at the finale. <laughs> we are now at the meat potatoes of the, of the podcast. Everybody is talking about this. And they happened ever since this news dropped 24 hours ago. Okay, so what I'm going to do, to be fair and to be unbiased, is I'm going to read both statements from both sides. Good. I have. I want to hear these both. I've only heard bits and pieces, so. First one we're going to start with is Johnny Depp. And so he, a small portion of it says, the jury gave my life back to me. But here's the full story. Johnny Depp, this comes, so both these are going to come from Deadline. Johnny Depp released a statement minutes after the verdicts were read in his $50 million defamation suit against his ex-wife, Amber Heard. The jury gave me my life back, he said, adding later, truth never perishes. The jury in Fairfax, Virginia today, and this was written yesterday, awarded Depp $15 million. And by the way, this is actually not correct. It was, it's so he got $10 million, okay? He could get up to $5 million for cumulative but the judge awarded him only 350000 So the correct number is $10.35 million. So keep that in mind. And damages against Amber Heard over the 2018 op-ed she wrote for the Washington Post that claimed she was a victim of domestic violence. The five-man, two-woman civil jury later added $2 million in damages to Heard in her counterclaim. Via his spokesperson, the former Pirates of the Caribbean star said this, Six years ago, my life the life of my children, the life of those closest to me, and also the life of my people who for many, many years have supported me, believed in me, were forever changed. All in the blink of an eye. False. Very serious and criminal allegations were levied against me via the media, which triggered an endless barrage of hateful content. Although no charges were ever brought against me, it was had been already traveled around the world twice within a nanosecond. And it had a seismic impact on my life and my career. And six years later, the jury gave me my life back. I am truly humbled. My decision to pursue this case, knowing very well the height of the legal hurdles that I would be facing and the inevitable worldwide speculation in my life, was not only was made after considerable foresight. From the very beginning, the goal of bringing this case was to reveal the truth. Regardless of the outcome, speaking the truth was something that I owed to my children and to all those who have remained steadfast in their support of me. I feel at peace knowing that I have finally accomplished that. I am and have now been overwhelmed by the outpouring of love and colossal support and kindness from around the world. I hope that the quest to have the truth be told will help others, men or women, who have found themselves in my situation and those supporting them never give up. I also hope that the position will now return to the innocent until proven guilty, both within the courts and in the media. I wish to acknowledge the noble work of the judge, the jurors, and the court staff, and the sheriffs, who have sacrificed their own time to get me to this point, and to my diligence of unwavering legal team, who did an extraordinary job in helping me share the truth. This, the best is yet to come, and a new chapter has finally begun. Truth never perishes. Okay, that is Johnny Depp's... Lawyers. No, just kidding. <laughs> No, that that's his statement. Well, no, really, no. You you're, you're right. That was completely scripted. It was completely scripted. So this is now Amber Heard's. My exceptional legal team. Yeah. Well, you got to wonder how much of that money is going to go to them, and they're now world famous, by the way. But so on the flip side of this, this comes from Deadline as well, and this is from Amber Heard. Amber Heard said that the, quote, disappointment I feel today is beyond words, end quote, in her first public reaction to a jury's verdict finding her liable for defaming ex-husband Johnny Depp in an op-ed in the Washington Post. Her fled heard left the courtroom after the verdict was read with her attorneys following behind. She stared down as the verdicts were read but didn't look at the jurors as they were polled after. I'm heartbroken that the mountain of evidence was still not enough to stand up to the disproportional power, influence, and sway of my ex-husband her said in a statement. I'm even more disappointed in what the verdict means for other women. It is a setback. It set the clock back to a time when a woman who spoke up and spoke out 
could be publicly shamed and humiliated. It set the idea that the violence against women is to be taken seriously. I believe Johnny's attorney succeeded in getting the jury to overlook the key issue of freedom of speech and ignore the evidence that was so conclusive that we won in the UK. I'm sad I lost the case, but I'm, I'm even sadder that I have seemed to have lost the right I had as an American to speak freely and openly. The jury did find Hurd's favor in one of the counterclaims, and she won two million bucks. Okay, let's unpack here. Number one, are you glad it's over? <laughs> yeah, but I don't think it's over. If I was Amber's attorneys, I would appeal and try to... Not to catch you up. They, they will appeal. They, they've already come out and said they're going to appeal. Because of suppressed evidence and then some jury behavior and then not to mention like Johnny and Kate Moss partying like right before the verdict. It all looks very suspect, but also like it looks weird that Amber's attorney went on the news right after too, like because people were saying that about her, that she was seeking fame. So everybody, you know, could be handling this situation a lot better. I do agree that it was a disgusting situation all around for men, for women, for everybody. I think everybody thoroughly embarrassed themselves. And, but yeah, I guess you're right. I'm for that reason. I'm glad it's over. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think there's a lot to, I think there's a lot to unpack here. Number one, let's go from both sides. Number one, if you're Johnny Depp, you've now gotten your life back. Okay. You have one, you know, arguably $10 million or whatever, but your career is now in serious jeopardy. Nobody wants to touch you with a 10-foot pole. He lost two major franchises in Pirates of the Caribbean and Fantastic Beasts. Where does he go from here? I think that he's going to be basically going to have to do smaller roles. He's not going to have a studio pick him up for a long, long, long time. He's going to have to do small roles He's going to have to really rebuild his image and how that happens. He's going to have to really be the guy in doing this. He's going to have to give fantastic everything that he thought he was good in. He's going to have to be that much better. And he's going to get people are going to have to forget him for what happened here and look on screen and say, that guy gave a hell of a performance instead of that guy sued her. So, look, anybody can come back and do anything they want. The first person I think of off the top of my head is Robert Downey Jr. Robert Downey Jr. for almost 25 years was a drug addict, was an alcoholic, until Marvel came knocking at his door. He's now a billionaire. He's clean, he's sober, and he's rich. This can happen to Johnny Depp. He's 53 years old. Now, is he going to get the roles that, you know, a 35-year-old? No, not at all. But he's got to be in ensemble cast. And he's not going to get any leading roles. That's a fact of life. The guy's not Liam Neeson, okay, who's in Taken and all these other movies. I mean, he had a whole second career. He's not going to do that. He might, but it's unlikely. That being said, where now I guess the question is, where does Amber Heard go? Because she, she's only 36. And she is an ensemble actress. She hasn't got any lead roles. Yeah, now if you go to her IMDb, she has a couple of things that are upcoming and she may knock those out of the park. But the story's got to be good. And, you know, she's got to be on her best behavior. They both have to be on the best behavior. Which it sounds like she really struggles with. <laughs> you know, and him too. He has a history as well, so. And look, I mean, this all goes back to the first story of the podcast. This, this goes back to the first story in Ezra Miller. The guy can't keep his nose clean, so to speak. That being said, if you, you're Amber Heard today, you have a small circle of friends around you, what do you do? I mean, I don't know if she does have a small circle of friends around her from the stories I've heard. Oh, yeah, yeah, her, yeah. Her agent, her attorney, whatever, her people, her publicist. Yeah. What do you do? Definitely appeal. That's for sure. I'm talking about the career about the career part that uh, like you said i think it's cooked it's done so you think she's she you think she's all done a lot of people are thinking that i don't think that johnny has much of a future either i think a lot's going to come out about him because this isn't the 1980s people's secrets come out and he has a lifetime in hollywood 
And I think that the big takeaway from this, or at least I hope for society, is that like I as a woman can easily identify and relate to Amber, but I need to remember that there's a man involved in the story that I might have a harder time empathizing and understanding his reality so that I need to be a little bit less emotional and projecting my own experiences and feelings onto this situation that has nothing to do with me. And I think, I hope that the rest of society can also consider like how they're projecting their hatred out into the world due to their own experiences, you know, men for going after Amber, also women internal with their internalized misogyny going after Amber. And then but also like understanding that women aren't perfect. You know, we can be just as violent and just as, you know, have, have the same problems as men, really. So I hope that society kind of learns to like just step back and stop sticking our noses or thinking we know even what's going on behind closed doors. Because like Amber's attorney said, there was a lot of suppressed evidence and she did win her case in the UK. The Courts in the U.S. have historically not protected women, so it's easy for me to see where, like, there were failures in the court system. So, but again, I cannot project my own experiences onto a- another situation. I just have to keep an open mind and recommend that path for other people so that things do not become so toxic. This was horribly toxic, and that's why we are all collectively breathing a sigh of relief right now because that was awful. It was a train wreck the whole way through. And I'm sure it triggered a lot of people's emotions as well. Well, I think, and you've said that it was very well said, and I think the fact is, too, that this was one of the most divisive things that I've seen in entertainment in a long, long time. This is the ugly side of Hollywood, ladies and gentlemen. When two people have a spat and Was there a 17-year age difference? Yes. Okay. But you got to understand a couple of things. Number one, they're both consenting adults. Okay. Number two, they knew what they were doing. And the fact is that, and look, it's easy for me to sit here as a a 46-year-old guy and say this, but if she really felt that endangered, all you got to do is pick up and, and listen, she had people around her. Okay. All she had to do was pick up a phone and call a hotline, okay? My name is Jane Smith. I need to get out of this relationship now, okay? We as a culture want something to happen, and we give them tools, but sometimes they don't use them. And then when it does happen, you go, well, why didn't you use the tools I gave you? She could have... Well, I have a feeling he was probably like, well, if you leave, I'm going to, you know like ruin you and then like look what happened he totally ruined her life <laughs> no doubt about that no doubt about that but she is the thing is all you gotta do is pick a phone up okay that's it better women's shelter you know there are hotlines there's resources out there if you want to get away that badly and I, look i'm not saying you can do it over time she's in a little better position than millions of and th- millions of other people out there that are going through the same thing Okay, they have to get the money together. They have to know the husbands or boyfriends or fiance schedule. They have to, you know, get the kids together, maybe what, and then split. All she had to do is pick a phone up. And I'm not denigrating what she did or didn't do. Don't get me wrong. Okay, but this is when you hear about a relationship ending in Hollywood and they say it was, quote, amicable. Was there bad blood? Yeah, probably. But you know what? They didn't want what happened there for six weeks. Because those six weeks are going to take six years to repair, even with a 24-hour news cycle. And mark my words, at the end of 2022, guess what? You're going to be seeing them on every single news outlet because it was a part of this year. What they need to do, they need to lay low, they need to keep their nose clean, and they need when they work. Because, look, I think both of them will work. He'll get the better roles than she will. I don't think. And that's another question. Does she even come back for an Aquaman 3? I mean, that's a big, big tentpole movie. We got Aquaman coming too, co- coming out, you know, next year. I don't think she's coming back. I mean, D- Warner Brothers and DC are in serious, serious flux right now. 
between Ezra Miller screwing up, between the Amber Heard situation, they're like, what the? They know how to pick them. Exactly. <laughs> what the fuck do we, what do we have to do? What do we have to do? Oh, man. That being said. <laughs> they should star in a movie together. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know what, though? Seriously. <laughs> or just be like two villains in a movie or something. <laughs> no. You know, that's not a bad idea. <laughs> Yeah, you know what? That's how Amber can revive her career. Just take on some super villain role. <laughs> you you take a look at, and I'm not kidding you, you take a look at some of the best things that are done. They have to be self-deprecating. All I'm going to say is this. Look at what happened in the Oscars this year. Okay? Mark my words. This upcoming Oscars, you're going to see Chris Rock come back, and you're going to see him do a skit about it. Because he was self-deprecating, okay? That in itself, if you put the right story together and you put a comedy together, I don't know what the name of it was. I, I wish I could remember off the top of my head. There was a movie with Charlize Theron, Seth Rogen. She was a candidate for president, and he was an, a long-lost friend. And it was a comedy. And they basically were like, look, he's not the best influence for you. And it was a great movie. You put together something like that, that's gold. It's after, you can't write that. You can't write that. We should sell our idea. Yeah. No, yeah, it's your idea, not mine, yours. But seriously, I think that the best thing they both can do, and you could, you even heard it in, in Johnny's speech, I'm so thankful to get my life back. She was more disciplined. If you notice the two dynamics of the statements, one of them was, I'm so happy to get my life back. The other one was, I'm so disappointed because my freedoms were lost. Did you notice that? Somebody was humble and somebody was like, well, I thought I had this type of thing. And that just goes to show you, you know what? You can't go in there even with a mountain of evidence. Because just because, I mean, listen, the United Kingdom came down on him and literally said, you are a white beater. I'm sure that she thought coming into this, she's like, I got this thing wrapped up. But it's like U.S. history, like, should have kept her humble from the get-go. That And that was their fatal error. And that's what people are saying, that her attorney just came in too hot. And this was a mountain to climb. Just And like you said, just because the U.K. court said something, like, that was literally not allowed in our court. So... So, I mean, it's one of those things where it's going to be, listen, with the 24-hour news cycle within a month or two, this is going to be old news. People, I mean, look, we're in June right now. People aren't saying word one about what happened in March in the Oscars. They've totally forgotten about that. And it took two and a half months to get over that. Mark my words, by the end of the summer, this is old news. You're not going to hear from Amber Heard. You're not going to hear from Johnny Depp. And they're going to go right under the radar. So the only time you're going to hear from her is when her lawyers say, look, we're going to appeal. And they have said that when they go on. So this whole thing. And even then, by the way, even if they do appeal and let's say they do lose, first of all, that's going to cost her more money. Okay. And second of all, if she does lose again, how bad is that going to make her look? Yeah. Oh my, or, or just her heart. How is she going to feel? Like, oh, I'm like. I'm a sore loser and I want this back. Yeah. Well, not only did you lose once, honey, but you lost twice. And it's like, okay. Now you owe 20 million. No, no, it, no but it's like, <laughs> you know, but it almost, it's going to cost her that. It's going to cost her her career. And she's only 36. She has her whole life ahead of her. That's what I don't understand. Chalk it up. I hate to say this and, you know, compartmentalize it, but chalk it up to a bad day at the office. Okay? Chalk it up to a bad day at the office. Move on. Love sucks. Okay? Anybody in a relationship will tell you that. Anybody who's been heartbroken will tell you that. But you know what? Those people, they've gone on to find new loves. And when they found new loves, they have, they've completely forgotten about their exes. Yes, yes. So I believe in that, but also like, I hope that, you know, just people can take away that like at the first signs of toxicity, like just bounce. Oh, and, and, and that's, and that's, and that's so you hit the nail right on the head. 
don't bring out the worst in each other. Don't embarrass each other. Don't harm each other. Don't seek to harm each other. Don't seek to harm other people around them. Like just peace out, you know, like there's 13 billion people in the world, you know, like you're good with someone else or you're good alone. Like there's happiness everywhere. So seek that. No, you're absolutely right. Because that's the thing. Sometimes you need to be the bigger person and just walk away. Take the loss, walk away. Well, uh, you know, and and heartbreak isn't the worst thing. It's inspired amazing movies, songs, art. Well, like, well, that's the thing. the The best person, the best art, is personal. Yes, for sure. Look, I hate to say it, but look at Taylor Swift. <laughs> look, I mean, seriously, tons of art, like tons of the best art, is just born out of pain. You know, that woman gone through more heartbreak and yeah, bullshit, and guess what? She's sitting on gold record after gold record after gold record because she turned what she had into art. Anyways, so that is. I didn't know you were a Taylor Swift fan, David. No, I actually, no, I, you know, I like her. I'm not, I'm not going to I'm not going to say, I, I like her music. I do. I, you know, it, it, but she is, you know, honestly, though, she is one of the most creative people. I mean, I'm not saying all other song singers and songwriters aren't, but she's one of the most creative young people out there. She started when she was 14. She was writing songs at 14 years old. And she, I mean, really didn't get the equipment or really get much until she was like 15 or 16. And how many times have you seen a 16-year-old girl get all this fortune and all this fame and completely blow up? And stay relatively normal. No, 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 no. What I mean by blow up is like go crazy. Christina Aguilera, Britney Spears, it goes on and on and on because they don't know how to deal with it. Taylor Swift is so grounded, she can deal with the fame and everything else. So anyways, the moral of the story is this. Everybody just needs to walk away from this. It's a teaching moment for, as you said, for all society. I heard a quote once. And in 30 years, I've never forgotten it. Nobody on the face of this earth can ever make you feel inferior without your permission. Oh, I so believe that. Yeah. So anyways, on that note. I still haven't learned that, but I, I think it's amazing advice. Yeah. It's amazing to think about. Yeah. Everybody has somebody in their life. Everybody is so overwhelmed with what everybody else thinks about them. And that's the truth. They want everybody to like them for one reason or the other. And... The thing is, when somebody doesn't like you, you're like, oh, why don't you like me? Well, because either you're used to having people like you or, you know, but if you if you're happy with yourself, then, hey, it doesn't matter what other people think. Anyways, on that note, this is to be continued. This is this is a to be continued and we'll see how that goes. But coming up, we have a lot of stuff coming up. We have, as I may mention, Jurassic World is next week. That's going to be fun. We're going to do a whole spoiler cast on that. We've got Lightyear the year the week after that. We've got Elvis the week after that. We have on July 8th, we have Thor, Love and Thunder. And then coming up in the middle of July or the end of July, there is a movie I'm dying to see. It's, a horror, it's right up your alley with a horror movie. It's called The Black Phone. And this is about a and this is IMDb synopsis, a child killer that takes a 13-year-old boy captive, and there's a phone inside of the room he's held in, and he gets phone calls from all of the other victims. So that sounds extremely spooky. Ethan Hunt stars, or Ethan Hawke stars in that, so that's going to be fun. And then, you know, we have, I've got a great interview coming up in three weeks with a screenwriter, and that's going to be a blast to sit down with him, and then, you know, the rest of the summer, there's just September. I know we're looking down the road a little bit, but September, Avatar gets re-released for the December 14th release of Avatar 2. And, of course, in October, we've got Wakanda Forever. We'll be I'm dying to see how they're going to handle that whole situation and where we go from there and just a ton of other stuff. And Sci-Fi Sunday, I talked to Jeff. Sci-Fi Sunday is going to be, we're going to record our very first episode on Wednesday of this upcoming week. And we're going to start with 
Star Trek motion picture, the 1977 movie. On Sunday, I'm going to be doing a Twitter space with somebody who's a huge Star Wars fan. I have to sit down and watch the third episode of Obi-Wan Kenobi. From what I understand, we get a big bad reveal. So that's going to be fun. And then every week after that, we're going to be doing another Sci-Fi Sunday. So we're going to do Wrath of Khan, Search for Spock, Voyage Home, so on. And then we're going to go through every single Star Wars movie. So, and then after that, we're going to be doing individual science fiction movies. That is going to be $6.99 a month. But if you subscribe, you're going to get a ton of stuff. You'll get a shout out for 16 podcasts a month. So you can't go wrong there. And like I said, I just wanted to, you know, I know I said it the other day. I just wanted to say thank you to everybody that's stuck with me for the last few months. Hit over a thousand plays the other day. And yeah, so I brought some cool interviews to you guys. And consider three bucks a month. It's a cup of coffee at Starbucks. And you'll be able to get a ton of stuff. 20 bucks a month, one a month, unpublished podcast. So, okay. On that note, I am David Steele, and she is Elena Finley, and you have been listening to Real Talk.